And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Can't wait to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is August the 28th, 240th day of the year. Only 125 days remain to this year's over with. And, of course, you all have asked for... Um, Holidays and observances. Crackers over the keyboard day. Emirata Women's Day. That's the honoring the ladies of the United Arab Republic, or United Arab Emirates, rather. Uh, Late Summer Bank Holiday. National Bowtie Day. National Cherry Turnover Day. National Heroes Day of the Philippines. National Hero Day, uh, this is honoring unknown heroes of the Philippine Revolution. National Power Rangers Day, Race Your Mouse Around the Icon Day, Rainbow Bridge Remembrance Day. If you've had the death of a beloved pet, it's a sad occasion. And Summer Bank Holiday in England and Wales. Let's see... Okay, back to this. 475 A.D., the Roman general Rustus forces Western Roman Emperor Julius Nepos to flee his capital city, Ravenna. 489, Theodoric, king of the Ostrogoths, defeats Odoacer in the Battle of Visanzo, forcing his way into Italy. Odoacer is the one that uh, defeated Rome. 632, Fatima, daughter of the Islamic prophet Muhammad, dies with her cause of death being a controversial topic among the Sunni Muslims and the Shia Muslims. Um, Fatima was uh, daughter of the Islamic prophet Muhammad and his wife, uh, Khadijah. Her husband was Ali, the fourth of the Rashidun Caliphs and the first Shia Imam. Uh, Fatima's sons were Hassan and Hussein, uh, second and third Shia imams, respectively. She's been compared to Mary, mother of Jesus, especially in the Shia Islam. And Muhammad is said to regarded her as the best of women and the dearest person to him. The uh, the women in history don't always get um, a lot of discussion. 663, Shilatang armies crushed the Begzi restoration attempt and forced Yamato, Japan, to withdraw from Korea in the Battle of Baek Gang. 1189, the Third Crusade, Crusaders began the Siege of Acre under Guy of Lusignan. 1521, Ottoman wars in Europe, Ottoman Turks occupy Belgrade. 1524, the Kachika, Maya rebel against her former Spanish allies during the Spanish conquest of Guatemala. 1542, Turkish-Portuguese War, Battle of Wufla. Portuguese are scattered. Their leader, Cristóvão de Gama, is captured and later executed. 1565, Pedro Mendes de Aveles uh, sites land near St. Augustine, Florida, and founds the oldest continually occupied European-established city in the continental United States. 1609, Henry Hudson discovers Delaware Bay. 1619, election of Ferdinand II as Holy Roman Emperor. Now by that time, it wasn't holy and it certainly wasn't Roman. 1640, Second Bishop's War. King Charles I English Army loses to a Scottish Covenanter force at the Battle of Newburn. 1648, Second English Civil War. The siege of Colchester ends with the Royalist forces surrendered to parliamentary forces after 11 weeks during the Second English Civil War. 1709, Medinganu, Parnhiba is crowned king of Manipur. 1789, William Herschel discovers a new moon of Saturn. Enceladus. 1810, Napoleonic Wars. French Navy accepts the surrender of British Royal Navy fleet at the Battle of Grand Port. 1830, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad's new Tom Thumb steam locomotive races a horse-drawn car, uh, presaging a steam roll in U.S. Railroad. 
1833, Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 receives royal assent, making the purchase or ownership of slaves illegal in the British Empire, with a few exceptions. 1845, the first issue of Scientific American magazine is published. 1849, Revolution of 1848 in the Austrian Empire. After a month-long siege, Venice, which had declared itself independent as the Republic of San Marco, surrenders to Austria. 1850, Richard Wagner's Lohengrin premieres at the Staatskapelle Weimar. 1859, the Carrington events, the strongest geomagnetic storm on record to strike Earth. Electrical telegraph service is widely disrupted. 1861, American Civil War. Union forces attack Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, in the Battle of Hatteras Inlet Batteries, which lasts for two days. Uh, 1862, American Civil War, Second Battle of Bull Run, also known as the Battle of Second Manassas. That battle ends on August 30th. I believe it was a Confederate victory. 1867, the U.S. takes possession of uh, Midway Atoll, which was unoccupied at this point. 1879, Anglo-Zulu Wars. Katshueo, last king of the Zulus, is captured by the British. 1898, Caleb Bradburn's beverage, Brad's Drink, is renamed Pepsi-Cola. 1901, Stillman University is founded in the Philippines, first American private school in the country. 1909, a group of mid-level Greek army officers launches the Goody coup seeking wide-ranging reforms. 1913, Queen Wilhelmina opens the Peace Palace in The Hague. 1914, World War I, Royal Navy defeats the German fleet at the Battle of Heligoland Bight. 1916, World War I, Germany declares war on Romania. Also in 1916, during World War I, Italy declares war on Germany. It was a free-for-all, folks. 1917, 10 suffragist members of the Silent Sentinels are arrested while picketing the White House in favor of women's suffrage in the U.S. 1921, Russian Civil War, Red Army dissolved the Makrosovichina after driving Revolutionary Insurgent Army out of Ukraine. 1924, the Georgian opposition stages the August Uprising against the Soviet Union. 1936, Nazi Germany begins its mass arrest of Jehovah's Witnesses who are interned in concentration camps. 1937, Toyota Motors becomes an independent company. 1943, Denmark in World War II. German authorities demand the Danish authorities crack down on acts of resistance. Next day, martial laws imposed in Denmark. 1944, World War II, Marseille and Toulon are liberated. 1946, the Workers' Party of North Korea, predecessor of the ruling Workers' Party of Korea, is founded at a Congress held in Pyongyang in North Korea. 1955, black teenager Emmett Till is lynched in Mississippi for whistling at a white woman, galvanizing the nascent civil rights movement. 1957, Senator Strom Thurmond begins a filibuster to prevent the U.S. Senate from voting on the Civil Rights Act in 1957. He stopped speaking 24 hours and 18 minutes later, longest filibuster ever conducted by a single senator. 1963, March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. gives his I Have a Dream speech on this date in 63. 1964, the Philadelphia race riot begins. 1968, police and protesters clash during the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Protest is protesters chant, the whole world's watching. 1973, Norm Armstrong robbery. Stockholm police secured a surrender of hostage takers Jan Eric Olson and Clark Olson, defusing in the Norm Armstrong, uh, Armstrong hostage crisis. Behaviors of the hostages later give rise to the term Stockholm syndrome. 1988, Ramstein Air Show disaster. Three aircraft of the Fries. Tricolor demonstration team collide and the records falls into the crowd. 75 are killed and 346 are seriously injured. You're having a bad day when an airplane falls on you. 1990, Gulf War. Iraq declares Kuwait to be its newest province. 1990, an F-5 tornado strikes Illinois cities of Plainfield and Joliet, killing 29. 
1993, NASA's Galileo probe performs a flyby of the asteroid 243 Ida. Astronomers later discover a moon, the first known asteroid moon, in pictures from the flyby name it Dactyl. 1993, Singaporean presidential election. Former Deputy Prime Minister Ong Ting Chong is elected President of Singapore. Almost the first presidential election to be determined by popular vote, the allowed uh, candidates consist only of Ong and a reluctant whom the government had asked to run to confer upon the election the semblance of an opposition. 1993, the autonomous Croatian community of Herzeg-Bosnia and Bosnia and Herzegovina was transformed into the Croatian Republic of Herzeg and Bosnia. 1996, Chicago 7 defendant David Dellinger and our war activist Bradford Lidoy, civil rights movement historian Randy Crane, and eight others are arrested by the Federal Protective Service for a protesting and a demonstration at the Klozinski Federal Building in downtown Chicago during that year's Democratic National Convention. 1998, Pakistan's National Assembly passes a constitutional amendment to make the Koran and Sunnah the supreme law, but the bill is defeated in the Senate. 1998, Second Congo War, loyalist troops backed by Angolan and Zimbabwean forces repulsed the RCD and the Rwandan offensive on Kinshasa. 1999, the Russian space mission Soyuz TM-29 reaches completion, ending nearly 10 years of continuous occupation on the space station Mir's approaches the end of its life. 2003, in one of the most complicated and bizarre crimes in the annals of the FBI, Brian Wells dies after becoming involved in a complex plot involving a bank robbery, robbery, a scavenger hunt, and a homemade explosive device. Uh, 2016, the first experimental mission of ISRO's scramjet engine towards the realization of an air-breathing propulsion system was successfully conducted from Sadi Stawan Space Center in uh, Sierra Kota. And in 2017, Chinese-India border standoff. China and India both pulled their troops out of Daklam, putting an end to a two-month-long stalemate over China's construction of a, of a road into disputed territory. I tell you, there's a lot of bizarre things going on as different countries have to flex their muscles. All right. Well... Let me finish our little history segment. <coughs> and we started on Friday talking about the Hollywood celebrity death roll. Some interesting stories about Hollywood celebrities that you probably never heard before. Well, we're going to start today's with Eric Fleming, born in 1925, died September 28, 1966. Well, you know, like Kenny Rogers saying, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And sometimes actors like gamblers don't know when to quit. Eric Fleming didn't. Born in Santa Paula, California. And from an early age, all he wanted to do was be in show business. Gravitated to Manhattan looking for a stage career. Made his uh, first mark by starring in the title role of Major Del Conway of the Flying Tigers. And that was a low-budget adventure series tele uh, telecast. It was done by the Dumont Network. After six weeks on the air in the spring of 51, the show disappeared for two months. <coughs> Excuse me. When it reappeared... Ed Peck had replaced Fleming in the key role of the American operative. Eric Fleming reappeared on series TV in a network soap opera, Golden Windows, in 1954. Next, he moved back to the West Coast, where he uh, got work in Conquest of Space in 1955. Enacted in several what are referred to as slock Features Queen of Outer Space in 58 and Curse of the Undead in 59. Well, the CBS TV's answer to the highly successful rival network series Wagon Train, the studio developed Rawhide, which I watched quite a lot. Eric Fleming starred as cattle trail boss Gil Favor. Clint Eastwood was his right-hand man, Rowdy Yates. 
This hour-long show premiered January 9, 1959, became a big hit. After seven years on the program, Fleming tired of the role and decided to retire to his ranch in Hawaii. He had bought it with his earnings. Quit the program after the 1964-65 season with Eastwood taking over as the trail boss. Well, rather than follow through with his relocation plans, he chose to remain in L.A. for a movie role. Doris Day's uh, Glass Bottom Boat, 1966. Then he was a guest on two episodes of Bonanza. Next, ABC TV persuaded him to co-star with Ann Haywood in a projected adventure series called High Jungle. And he joined the cast members on location in Peru, where they were filming scenes in the headwaters of the Amazon River. September 28, 1968, cast and crew in a remote jungle region 300 miles northeast of Lima, Fleming and uh, Peruvian actor Nico Menardas being filmed in a canoe on the Aluga River when the craft suddenly overturned. Menardis managed to swim to safety, but Fleming was swept off by that strong current. Remains of his body, uh, after the piranha got through with it, wasn't found until October 3rd. Since I've had a little bit of experience with the Amazon River, I can tell you, at least, uh, what, 45 years ago, without a hell of a current. Then we got Robert Francis. Born February 26, 1930. Died uh, July 31st, 1955. Now, he, uh, he was an up-and-coming actor. Screen World voted him one of the 1954's most promising actors. Under contract to Columbia Pictures and had what everybody agreed was a bright future ahead. And then in a matter of minutes, it all ended. Single-engine, four-seat private plane that he was piloting took off from an airstrip in Burbank, California and crashed and exploded. At the age of 25, this up-and-coming star was gone. Well, he had a Rare distinction for movie actors, he was a native Californian, born in Glendale and attended local schools. One day, while soaking up the sun at a South America beach, he was spotted by a talent agent and suggested he take drama lessons and try for a movie career. Well, that was good advice, and Francis followed it, and it was auditioned and signed for a role in uh, Columbia's uh, The Cane Mutiny in 54. And a cast of top-flight professionals such as Humphrey Bogart and Fred McMurray and Van Johnson and Jose Ferrer Robert uh, Francis gained uh, notice. According to Variety, making a splendid impression in his major screen bow is, uh, bow is Robert Francis playing the young ensign Willie Keith to perfection. Well, May Wynn had uh, played Francis' love interest on the Kane Mutiny, and Columbia promoted him as a new young screen team, casting them together again, and they rode west in '54. And Robert Francis acquitted himself well in the Korean War prisoner of war melodrama, the Bamboo Prison in 55, and was next third cast in John Ford's tribute to West Point, The Long Gray Line in 55, starring Tyrone Power and Maureen O'Hara. Well, he had long been a plane enthusiast and was a licensed pilot. On Sunday, July 31st, 1955, he borrowed the plane belonging to actor pal Joe Kirkwood to go for a spin. And accompanying him was a 24-year-old bit film actress <coughs> the name of Ann Russell and George Myers, a mechanic. small plane took off from the runway at the Lockheed Air Terminal in Burbank. And then the plane experienced engine failure and nosedived, crashed into an unused parking lot and burned. All three passengers, of course, died. Robert was buried at uh, Forest Lawn Memorial Park in his hometown of Glendale. And after that, the movie studio began reinforcing a standard clause in actors' contracts. They couldn't engage in hazardous hobbies. Unfortunately, this uh, safety precaution came a little bit too late to help uh, young Robert Francis. Well, let's look at Janet Gaynor. Real name, Laura Gaynor. Born October 6, 1906. Died September 14, 1984. You know, sometime or another, most of us have had qualms about riding in taxis. Janet Gaynor, the winner of the first Best Actress Academy Award, being a passenger in a San Francisco cab in September of 1984, is a fatal decision. She'd been born in Philadelphia, and I said, is Laura Gaynor. 
When she was eight, her mother divorced, and Laura, with her slightly older sister Helen, moved with her to Chicago. When Ms. Gaynor remarried, the family relocated again to Florida and then to San Francisco. 1923, Laura graduated from high school. Next year, the family visited Los Angeles, and where uh, the Gaynor sisters found work as movie extras and comedy shorts at Hal Roach Studios and elsewhere. <coughs> yeah, sweet place, Laura, now known as Janet, got her first important film assignment when she was cast in the Johnstown Flood in 1946 at Fox. The studio production chief, uh, Winfield Sheehan, uh, took a liking to Janet and hired at a hundred bucks a week. And in that those days, that was a good bit of money. It was in the Sunrise in 1927 with George O'Brien that the petite Janet gained important recognition. She was awarded with a studio race to 300 a week, and as the Parisian waif was cast opposite Charles Farrell for the first time in Seventh Heaven in 1927. It was for a combination of Sunrise, Seventh Heaven, and Street Angel in 1928 that she was named Best Actress at the first Academy Awards ceremony on May 16, 1929. Despite a limited vocal range and a bit of twang in her voice, uh, Five Foot High Janet was a success in her first all-talkie movie, Sunny Side Up, 1929. Same year, she married San Francisco attorney Lydell Peck. Years later, she'd admit that she and co-star Farrell were off-screen lovers and that uh, Charlie pressed her to marry him, but we had too many differences, she said. 1930, she went on strike against the bland, sentimental role she was getting and then a huff sailed with her mother for Hawaii. When she came back to the lot, she was back making more insipid pictures with Charles Farrell. Uh, Mary Marilyn Ann in 1931 and Delicious and also in 31. Nevertheless, she remained big box office. By 1934, she and Farrell made their 12th and final movie together. It's called Change of Heart. Also that year, her marriage to Peck ended in divorce. When the studio merged with 20th Century Pictures in the mid-30s, Daryl Zanuck became head of the combined studio. And he pushed Janet aside in favor of Younger actresses such as Loretta Young and the studio's new breadwinner, uh, Shirley Temple. Kinder thought about retiring, but instead went on a contract with David, uh, David Selznick, who cast her as a movie struck farm girl, Esther Blodgett, in A Star is Born in 37. That picture was a major hit, and cute as a button, Gaynor was Oscar nominated again. After making The Young and Heart in 38, she retired to marry. On August 14, 1939, famed movie costume designer Gilbert Adrian, their son Robin, was born in 1940. Now, she made a few returns to acting on radio and TV in the early 50s, and then she and Adrian moved to Brazil near Annapolis to a 200-acre ranch. She later said it didn't have a modern kitchen, but we do have our own little jungle. Her neighbor in Brazil was her longtime good friend Mary Martin and her husband, 57 and much hoopla. Janet returned to Rose Studio uh, to play Pat Boone's mother in Bernadine. By now, she and Adrian had relocated to the States where he died of a stroke in September of 59. At that time, she was rehearsing a Broadway-bound play, The Midnight Sun, which never reached New York, surprisingly enough. December 64, 58-year-old Janet married stage producer Paul Gregory. He was 43 and she was 58 and they retired to Palm Springs. In 1980, fidgety for the limelight again, she tried Broadway and Harold Maud, but the show, of course, flopped. September 5th, 82, Janet, long since out of the limelight, and her husband, Mary Martin, and agent Ben uh, Washoe riding in a San Francisco taxi, heading for a Chinese restaurant. Van ran through a red light and crashed into their cab. Washer was killed, Martin was critically injured, and Stayed in the hospital for the next 10 days, and Gregory sustained far less serious injuries. As for Janet, she suffered a broken pelvis and collarbone, 11 broken ribs, and assorted internal injuries. Underwent two major operations at San Francisco General Hospital before being released in January of 83. Convalesced at her Palm Springs home and even managed a few public appearances. Then in August of 84, she was hospitalized again. September 14, 1984, she died on... Desert Hospital in Palm Springs. Cause of death was listed as pneumonia, although her private physician stated the actress never fully recovered from the 
automobile accident of approximately two years ago. And there were repeated complications with compounded or chronic illness. Buried at Hollywood Memorial Park, a few rows from the more elaborate resting spot of Cecil B. DeMille. Janet's black and white marker reads Janet Gaynor Gregory. And she's cute as a button, I must say. Well, let's talk about John Eric Hexham. November 5th, 1957 to August 18th, 1984. You know, in the entertainment industry, it's not just the women have to cope with being just another pretty face. And a lot of actors are locked into a rigid mold because of their exceptionally good looks. And they begin to lose their identities because people won't see beyond their remarkable exteriors. And one such victim was John Eric Hexham, born in Tenafly, New Jersey in 57, second son of a Norwegian immigrant, uh, Thor, who was a chef, and Greta Hexham. When, uh, got too many pieces of paper here. When he was seven, his parents divorced, and two years later, the father left the state. His mother, Greta, worked as a secretary by day and a waitress at night to support her children, John, Eric, and Gunner. And even as a youngster, John Eric was stage struck and commuted to New York for dance and music lessons. He could play the piano, the organ, the violin, and in the church band, he was the drum major. After attending uh, Case Western Reserve in Ohio, he transferred to Michigan State University. There, Hexham majored in biomedical engineering, worked as an off-campus disc jockey known as Yukon Jack and played an assortment of sports, including football. Sports activities led to an unwarranted reunion with his father. Hadn't seen his father since he was nine, but Thor saw his son on a televised gridiron game and got in touch. John Eric responded uh, to the attempt to contact him, You blew it, guy. Go to hell. Well, after graduation, he returned to the East Coast, determined on a show business career. Worked night times in restaurants so he could audition during the days. Only acting role he mustered was in an Auburn, New York stock version of the unsinkable Molly Brown. One of Hexham's non-acting jobs was cleaning Venetian blinds, and one of his clients proved to be a friend and the managing of, manager of actor John Travolta. And the manager thought six-foot-one, 190-pound John Eric had show business potential and helped launch his acting career. And soon this tall young man modeled for two beefcake calendars. With the proceeds, he relocated to Los Angeles where he worked for a time in a, as a busboy in a Venice restaurant and shared a tiny hole-in-wall room with two co-workers. However, within a short time of arriving, he was spotted and cast in Voyagers, a, in 1982, a science fiction adventure series that was canceled after one season on network TV. And although he was now established in the industry, he maintained a frugal lifestyle, living modestly in an unfurnished house in a non-exclusive section of Burbank and driving an old 54 Chevy. His romance with business person Debbie Davis ended, and he later dated TV actress Emma Sams. In between, he was momentarily absorbed by star Joan Collins, who cast him as her leading man in the TV movie The Making of a Male Model in 83. And next, he was hired as Pat Trammell, the cancer-ridden friend of Alabama football coach Paul Bear Bryant, the theatrical feature Bear in 84. He's pleased to be cast against type. He said, that's the direction I'd like to go. Well, it is back to form and cover-up, a CBS TV detective spy series that premiered in September of 84. Played fashion photographer Mac Harper, former Green Beret and weapons expert. A few weeks into the action series being filmed at 20th Century Fox, he was on the set one day playing with a prop 44 Magnum pistol which he had just loaded with a blank. At 5.15 p.m., for some unknown reason, he put the gun to his right temple just like in the game of Russian roulette. Pulled the trigger, he smiled and said, let's see if I've got one for me. And he was apparently unaware that at close range, even a blank, in reality a minimum charge packed with cotton can cause great damage. And the force of the discharge drove a quarter-sized piece of his skull into his brain. The unconscious actor was rushed to studio station in the studio station wagon to Beverly Hills Medical Center, where he remained in critical condition. Six days later, on the evening of October 18th, still in a coma, he was declared brain dead, which in actuality would have made him eligible for election to Congress. Friday morning, with his mother's approval, he was flown to San Francisco, still on a life support system, where his heart was transplanted into the body of a dying 36-year-old Las Vegas businessman. 
Rector's kidneys and corneas were removed and placed in organ transplant banks. Later, the body was flown back to L.A. for the coroner's office post-mortem. His funeral was private, and what followed was anticlimactic. The highly publicized stunt that caused his death was ruled accidental, though several people who knew the actor said he had become more distant and brooding and reckless in the weeks before the tragedy. The episode led to an industry-wide uh, committee investigation and establishment of new guidelines. As for the TV series, his last episode was aired November 3rd, 1984. Studio promoted a highly publicized search for his replacement, which proved to be another muscular hunk, Australian Anthony Hamilton. Nevertheless, cover-up faded from the air without another, within another few months. Then we have Leslie Howard, real name Leslie Stainer, um, born April 3rd, 1893, died June 1st, 1943. Well, moviegoers forever remember Leslie Howard as Ashley Wilkes. Scarlett O'Hara's uh, noble but weak love interest in Gone with the Wind, which came out in 1939. That year, at the height of his movie career, he left Hollywood. The patriotic uh, Howard flew to his native England, which was already engaged in World War II. In 1943, he was aboard a civilian aircraft returning from, London, uh, from Lisbon to London when the plane was shot down by the Germans over the Bay of Biscay. All aboard died. For years, speculation has run high that at the time, Howard was involved in a secret government spying mission. Uh, I also was told by others that there was uh, a look-alike for Winston Churchill on board, and that's why the Germans shot the plane down. Born Leslie Stainer in 1893, was one of five children of a Jewish London-based stockbroker. He was a bank clerk before World War I broke out, though he had already had an interest in show business made a Short subject in 1914. Mustered out of service in 1918, he suffered from shell shock and took therapeutic acting lessons. Made his West End stage debut that year. Two years later, was on Broadway in uh, Just Suppose. During the 20s, he crossed the Atlantic back and forth in assorted stage vehicles. Meanwhile, he and his wife, Ruth Martin, who he married in 1916 while on military leave, had two children. Ronald, born in 1918, and Leslie Ruth, born in 1924. Ironically, at home, Howard was referred to as an American actor, while in the U.S. he was known as the, the romantic British leading man. First American feature was recreating a stage success in Outward Bound in 1930. Back in England, he had the lead in the dashing, as the dashing Scarlet Pimpernel in 1934. 1936, he and Norma Shearer were mature young lovers in MGM's elaborate Romeo and Juliet. He'd been Oscar-nominated for Berkeley Square in 1933 and was nominated once more for the British-made Pygmalion in 1938, which he actually co-directed. After co-producing Intermezzo in 1939, in which he starred opposite Ingrid Bergman, he returned to war-torn England, and there he produced several nationalistic features, including uh, Pimpernel Smith in 41, as well as participating in... Uh, war broadcast uh, and writing uh, pro-war newspaper articles. Spring of 1943, he had gone to Spain and Portugal, ostensibly on a goodwill tour to lecture on filmmaking at the request of the British Council. Morning of Tuesday, June 1st, 1943, Howard and 12 other passengers got on board civilian flight 777 at the Portela airport outside of Lisbon, and all four crew members on the DC-3 were Dutch. Craft took off about 9.30 in the morning. Its destination was Whitechurch Airport near Bristol. About an hour later, it was attacked by six German fighter planes. And at this point, its radio contact broke off. As information was later pieced together after the DC-3 was hit, four men jumped from the plane. Only one of their parachutes opened up. However, that caught fire, and the man fell his, to his death, too. By the time the plane hit the water, it was engulfed in flames. Well, no trace of the plane or its victims were ever found, although the British and German governments had both always remained silent about the mishap. There have been several theories. To begin with, at that point in time, Portugal was neutral, and both the Allies and the Axis used Lisbon as a center of espionage intrigue. For three years, one flight a day had gone from Portugal to England and another in the reverse direction. Germans never attacked those flights until they attacked this one. Prior to the June 1st mishap, Howard had arrived in Lisbon and gone by train to Madrid. There, the Nazis used a beautiful spy, Baroness Miranda, to intercept the actor on the, at the Spanish hotel while he was headquartered. 
When he later left Madrid for Lisbon, the Baroness was at the train station to bid him farewell. Upon reaching Lisbon, in which he remained for a few days, he encountered another female German spy. This time he ignored him. One popular conjecture is the Germans were retaliating against Howard because he was Jewish, a possible enemy agent, and done all that was wartime anti-German propaganda work. Another premise holds that the Nazis thought England's Prime Minister Winston Churchill was on board the plane, as I mentioned earlier. At that time, Churchill was actually in Algiers, but rumor had it he was in Lisbon as soon as depart for London. Howard's traveling companion and financial advisor, Alfred uh, Chenhalls, was on the track, and he was a lookalike uh, for the older, shorter, and flabbier of British statesmen. German agents may have mistaken Chenhalls for Churchill and ordered a deadly attack. Well, the Allies conducted an air search for the missing plane, but it was called off on June 2nd due to bad weather. England and the world greatly mourned the loss of Howard, and like Carol Lombard, who died in a 42 Nevada plane crash while returning from a war bond selling tour, he had given his life for his country in time of war. Well, this next one was a well-known cowboy star. His name was Buck Jones, real name Charles Frederick Gebhardt. Born December 4, 1889, died November 30, 1942. And his tragic final read, uh, like a um, Hollywood movie script, Buck Jones, veteran cowboy star, perished in Boston's Coconut Grove Club Fire in 1942 that killed 491 people. He'd gone back into the burning building three times to save trapped victims before he himself was killed. Born in Vincennes, Indiana in, 19, in 1889 and educated at Indianapolis Public Schools. And once on his own, he traveled to Montana where he became a cowboy. Always seeking adventure, he joined the U.S. Cavalry and served in the Philippines. After that, he was hired by the Miller Brothers. 101 uh, Ranch Wild West Show made his first movie with the outfit in 1913. 1915, he married show Odell Osborne and sent a ring during a circus performance, and they'd have a daughter, Maxine. During World War I, he served with the U.S. Army's first air squadron in France, and after the armistice, he maintained in, uh, remained in Europe, performing it as a trick rider with several traveling shows. And one of his performances brought him to the attention of film mogul William Fox, who signed him to appear in Hollywood films. The new recruit, who was now going by the name of Buck Jones, became the backup to the lot's top cowboy star, Tom Mix, whom he once had uh, doubled. And sometime in, in his Fox films, he would put aside cowboy outfits and appear in non-westerns, usually as the good-natured rube. When his Fox contract ended in 1928, he produced his own feature, The Big Hop, which flopped, as did a personal appearance tour about that same time. Made no movies in 1929, the year talkies blossomed in Hollywood. By 1930, he was working at Columbia Pictures as a at a reduced salary. Surprising everybody, his new batch of westerns proved a hit, and by 1934 he was a top star again. Moved over to Universal that year, where he graduated and produced and starred in cowboy features as well as serials. Universal wanted Buck to increase the number of films he made, and yearly he rebelled. Returned to Columbia in late 1937. That same year he moved into his new Spanish-style estate in Van Nuys and San Fernando Valley. He had spent $110,000 to build the elaborate house with its accompanying stables in the corral. At that point in time, he was also driving a 21,000 Duesenberg Roadster, complete with a gold-plated door handles and a dashboard. Into the 30s, he was freelancing again. He played a boxer in Paramount's Quickie Unmarried in 1939, was dishonest sheriff in Republic's Wagons Westward in 1940. And that was also the year that Buck's daughter married young actor Noah Beery, Jr., well, by now, Jones and Tom Mix had buried their old professional feud, and in fact, uh, Ma uh, Mix was a guest at Jones' house the day before he was killed in an auto crash on October 12, 1940. In 41, veteran producer Scott Dunlap teamed Buck with Tim McCoy and Raymond Hatton for the Rough Riders Cowboys series at Monogram Pictures. Arizona Bound in 1941 was the first in Riders of the West, and in 1942 was the last featuring all three actors. McCoy went on to active duty in World War II. Jones and Hatton were then teamed with Rex Bell for Dawn on the Great Divide in 42. Buck was proud of the fact he remained an old-time cowboy, the sort of kids used to want to grow up to be like. 
He didn't like the new breed of singing cowboys. Having completed his Rough Rider pictures, he went on a war bond selling trip, promoted Navy recruitment. His stop over in Boston was the end of his 10-city tour. And on November 28th, he was a guest of honor at a testimonial dinner given by area theater owners at the Coconut Grove Club. Well, the fire broke out due to flammable uh, decorations, the overcrowding, the lack of revolving doors, and general panic. The scene became a horrible disaster. Proved himself heroic for several return trips into the fire, rescuing several panicked customers. On his third trip inside, he got trapped himself. Taken to Massachusetts General Hospital, where the doctors determined he couldn't survive because of third and secondary burns on his face and neck, as well as the repercussions from burned lungs and smoke inhalation. Two days later, he passed away. At the time of his death, his wife was en route to his bedside. He died like the cowboy he played on the screen, quietly and bravely. His horse didn't go with him. Well, the next one is Grace Kelly, born November 12, 1929. Died September 14, 1982. Well, the, the world adores fairy tale stories of beautiful commoners who marry sophisticated princes and live happily ever after. In the case of Princess Grace of Monaco, better known as movie actress Grace Kelly, she made a sudden tragic exit from her lofty continental lifestyle. Thereafter, all the world learned that not only was her royal life imperfect, that uh, Hollywood years have been anything but stayed. Born in February, uh, excuse me, in Philadelphia in 1929, she was the third of four children of construction contractor John Brendan Kelly and his wife Margaret, a uh, former model. Grace's uh, relatives included Uncle George Kelly, the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, and Walter Kelly, a famous vaudevillian who would die in 1939 after being hit by a, tr a truck in Hollywood. As a child, she was quite shy and was always competing with her older sister Margaret her brother John, for her father's attention. However, nothing she could do then or even later in life really impressed him. She attended a nearby covenant school until the age of 14 and went to Stevens Academy in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania. One of her teachers would recall she really wasn't interested in scholastic achievement, gave priority to drama and boys. Instead of attending college, the self-willed Grace chose a trip to Europe and was enrolled at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City. Her disapproving parents agreed to pay for one year's tuition, but no more. To earn her next year's fee, she became a fashion model, sometimes being selected as a cover girl. Also had an affair with a 27-year-old academy instructor. Her parents disapproved of the relationship more because the man was Jewish than because he was married, although, to be fair, he was separated from his wife. With her patrician good looks and her family show business connections, she had an edge over most other young aspiring actresses. She did summer stock at Bucks County Playhouse, made her Broadway debut as Raymond Massey's daughter and the father in 1949, became a very active player in the blossoming TV industry, then based in New York City. Director Henry Hathaway chose Grace to join the ensemble cast of 14 Hours and 51, mostly shot in Manhattan. The studio, which was 20th Century Fox, offered her a contract, but she rejected it. Instead, she chose to play the Quaker wife, a Quaker wife of an ex-marshal, Gary Cooper, in High Noon in '52, and that movie, with its popular theme song, became an unbelievable hit. Off camera, Grace and Cooper, who was 28 years older than she was, began an affair. And while their relationship was short-lived, it set the tempo for subsequent liaisons with her older co-stars. She returned to Broadway briefly, and hired by John Ford to join Clark Gable. On Eva Gardner and Magambo in 53. During the afternoon location filming, Kelly and Gable became quite an item when they spent uh, one off uh, on an off-screen safari together. Back in Hollywood, it was the King who consoled a disappointed Grace when her Best Supporting Actress nomination failed to produce an Oscar. An Oscar. But now she was an MGM contract star, being loaned out uh, profitably to other studios. And during the shooting of Dal M for murder in 1954, it wasn't her director, Alfred Hitchcock, who had a penchant for beautiful icy blondes with whom she tra uh, tangled romantically, but her 49-year-old co-star, co Ray Milan. Actor left his wife to show he meant to marry Grace, but later reconsidered. Hitchcock barred Grace again for Rare Wanda in 1954. 
Meanwhile, the actress to twitch her affections from Milan to fashion designer Ali Cassini and then to French actor Jean-Pierre Aumont. Grace's outspoken father was aghast. In the making of the bridges at Tokoria in 1954, Grace and William Holden became more than good friends. As cast in The Country Girl in 54, Kelly's attentions wavered from Holden to his co-star Bing Crosby. But she wasn't in love with the crooner and refused his marriage offer. For her own camera dramatics, she got an Academy Award. And having co-starred with Cary Grant in To Catch a Thief in 55, and while waiting to film MGM's The Swan in 56, she attended the Cannes Film Festival in May of 55. And it was Olivia de Havilland's husband, Pierre Gallant, a Paris matchmaker, a magazine uh, editor, who engineered the meeting between Kathleen and the 31-year-old Prince Rainier III of Morocco, excuse me, Monaco. After being introduced to the movie star, the Royal Village uh, eligible bachelor informed his palace chaplain, I've met somebody, I think she's the one. Well, that December, Rainier came to Philadelphia to ask for her hand in marriage. The engagement was announced July 5th, 1956. Not publicized were the conditions to the marriage. She had to pass a fertility test to prove she could bear future heirs to the throne and a $2 million dowry. Four months later, April 18, 1956, they were married in the civil service. The next day, they were united in the Catholic ceremony, covered by 1,600 reporters as the social event of the decade. The royal marriage marked the official end of her Hollywood years, also began her motherhood period. Prince Carolyn was born in 57, Prince Albert in 58, and Princess Stephanie in 65. During her royal reign, she continually missed movie-making. In 1962, she accepted the lead in Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie, but when the picture was made, it was Tippi Hedren who played the heroine as the subjects of Monaco objected vehemently to Princess Grace making a film. In 1974, she appeared in a New York City tribute to Alfred Hitchcock, and in 76, she joined the board of directors of 20th Century Fox. Almost accepted a lead in the studios The Turning Point in 76, but Rainier said no. Well, well, not coping with her frisky family, especially Prince, uh, Princess Charlotte, uh, excuse me, Carolyn. Grace worried about growing old, gaining weight. Rumors of Rainier's affairs and her aborted film career. Did poetry readings around the world and started a documentary called Rearranged in 1979. Well, September 13, 1982, she'd been staying at Rock and Go the alternate family home a few miles from the royal palace, had an appointment with her Monaco uh, couturier before going to Paris that night with Stephanie. After loading her Rover 3500 with dresses to be altered and luggage, she told her chauffeur there's no room for him in the car and that she'd uh, drive herself. With Stephanie in the passenger seat, she set out at 9.30 and half hour later as the car reached a dangerous curve on the snaking Moyenne Corniche crashed past the barrier and down a 120-foot hillside. When the local residents reached the accident scene, a conscious but injured Stephanie had managed to get out of the car and was yelling, help my mother, my mother's in there, get her out. Well, she was removed by smashing the car's rear window. She and Stephanie were taken by ambulances to Princess Grace Hospital. After immediate surgery to cure her lungs and halt internal bleeding, a CAT scan revealed she'd suffered a stroke prior to the accident. Concluded even if she should recover, she'd be a helpless invalid. Royal Palace did, it bless, did its best to downplay the seriousness of her injuries, which uh, led to speculation the official explanation for the accident was fabricated. She died at 10.30 p.m. September 14, 1982, laying state in her open coffin until uh, September 17th when an elaborate funeral service was conducted. Well... The princess was buried at the Grimaldi's family vault in a church on uh, September 21st. It wasn't a happily ever after finale that everybody expected. But at least she had achieved the happiness that many people um, strive for but don't get. Well, from Grace Kelly, let's go to Percy Kilbride. Born July 16th, 1888, died December 11th, 1984. Tall, twangy, tight-lipped, 
Percy Kilbride. But an indelible mark is the bumpkin other half of feuding, fussing, and fighting Ma Kettle in a popular series of lowbrow barnyard comedies, which have fell between 47 and 55, spent most of his life behind the floodlights, never realizing that a simple walk across the Hollywood street would bring an end to his life. Born in San Francisco in 1888, and as a teenager, he got employment as a cowboy at the local Central Theater. And that job led to his first stage work as a fop in A Tale of Two Cities. Then on, he was hooked on acting. During World War I, he served in the Army, Company B, 317th Infantry, 80th Division. And then he returned to stage work after the war. He spent many years in stock companies in Albany and Boston and Philadelphia, Syracuse, a number of other uh, cities, usually cast as a character actor or a light comedian. This hawk-nosed actor with the squinty eyes made his screen debut in Karen Lombard's White Woman in 1933. Didn't make another picture until Soak the Rich in 1936, which was filmed on the East Coast. Finally reached Broadway in 1938 in Those We Love. Brought back to Hollywood for a comedy relief role in Jack Benny's George Washington Slept Here in 1942, which he had done on Broadway and decided to stay on the West Coast. And... Uh, Excuse me, it was in the comedy uh, The Egg and I in 1947 at Kilbride and Marjorie Maine first played Pond Ma Kettle. They raised a flock of chicken on their ramshackle farm. Two supporting characters were so well received, Universal gave them their own uh, showcasing series, which began with Ma and Pa Kettle in 1949. Each entry was shot on the back a lot and only cost 200 to 400,000. However, each outing of the pair grossed about three million. After Ma and Pa Kettle at Waukegee in 55, the 67-year-old Percy retired while the series continued on for two more episodes. Parker Finley appeared in the final entry, The Kettles and Old McDonald's Farm, in 1957. In 1964, he was living in a Hollywood apartment at, uh, on Franklin Avenue, though he still listed the Lambs Club in Manhattan in his permanent residence. Always well-groomed in private life, fans would Randy recognized him as they strolled around Hollywood. One evening, while walking out with actor friend Ralph Belmont, they were crossing an intersection at Yuck and Cherokee near his Las Vegas, Los Angeles home. A car hit him. Belmont was killed. Kilbride survived. Underwent brain surgery and was convalescing in Hollywood when he finally succumbed December 11, 1964. He was uh, taken to San Francisco where he was buried in the nearby uh, San Bruno Golden Gate National Cemetery, it's a military cemetery because of his World War I service. Lifelong bachelor, he didn't have any survivors. Well, our next one, we don't have time to go into because we have come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about a number of other Hollywood lights who uh, left us a little too early. Until then, this is Ken Hodnell for the Ken Hodnell Show saying have a truly great evening.